0: Father in heaven, we thank you for this Sabbath, this opportunity that we have to come together, study, to fellowship, most of all to be in your presence. And we ask that you would bless us now as we open your word as the words of that song, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And that's the prayer of our hearts today as we seek to do and to know your will. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The year was 2006 and there was a young Japanese engineer that worked for Toyota and he was feverishly working on a particular project for the Toyota Camry, the hybrid version. He was working 80 hours overtime per month in addition to work seven days a week. He was... Very stressed, very overworked, and very intensely working on this project. Two months into it, he was found in his room. He was dead. No symptoms, no indications prior. Perfectly healthy man. They came to the conclusion that he had died from a phenomenon that the Japanese have coined since 1969. It's called karoshi, which literally means death from overwork. It's become a phenomenon, so much so that the labor ministry of the Japanese government has instituted law saying that, yes, you should work hard, but there's a limit to how much you should work. Isn't it interesting that our Creator God, in the heart of the Divine Ten Commandments, has given us a blueprint for working and for rest. Amen? And I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to this Divine Commandment found in the Decalogue, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11, page 83 In your pew Bible, we go to the fourth commandment, that divine commandment given by God, written with his own finger on tablets of stone, page 83, Exodus, chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Here it is, in the Ten Commandments, the command to rest. Praise the Lord. That God says, work six days, but on the seventh You are given a day off from all your labors. It's a time for spiritual, mental, emotional, physical renewal. It's at the heart of the Ten Commandments. And as we begin this series called the Sabbath, and as you endeavor to share about the Sabbath with your friends and neighbors, the conversation many times goes something like this. You say, your friend, uh, have you heard about the Sabbath? And they say, oh, David, don't you know, we don't have to keep the law anymore. Have you heard that before? How many of you heard that before? We don't have to keep the law anymore. We're no longer under the law. We're under, what does it say? We're under grace. Furthermore, the law has been nailed to the cross. There's indications in Scripture that say that the law has been done away with, the law has been nailed to the cross, and there's other passages as well. So I'm not going to hold back today, nor in our series. We're going to actually go through some of these passages, and first and foremost, you'll see them in your study guide. i put them here on the screen, but four passages that indicate that the law has been done away with. Here it is, and any time you talk about the Sabbath, they always quote Colossians 2, verse 14 through 16. So we'll look at it. Colossians 2, 14 through 16. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us and has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, there it is, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink, are regarding a festival or a new moon or sabbaths. There it is. It says the law has been nailed to the cross. We'll come back to that one. Here's another one. Ephesians chapter two verse fifteen. You can see them all in your study guide listed there. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two. Thus making peace. Here's another one. Romans 6.14 For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, you're under what? You're under grace. Our final one, Galatians 3.23-25 through 25. But before faith came, We were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor or no longer under the law. Now, to confuse you a little bit. We'll try to alleviate this later, but here's a little bit of confusion. Here's four passages that seem to indicate that the law has been done away with. The law has been nailed to the cross. And then here's four passages that indicate that the law is still binding. James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. This this commandment, this verse says that if you break one, you break Them all. This is a New Testament passage saying that the whole law is applicable. You break one, you break them all. The words of Christ, another New Testament passage, Matthew 5, verse 17 through 18. Do not think that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Some people say that that word fulfills. Christ is saying that the law has been done away with. But it doesn't make any sense because. If that were so, it would say, I did not come to destroy the law, but to destroy the law. But is a contradiction. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot, that's a dot, or one tittle, that's the crossing, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. The words of Jesus himself, if you have a red-letter Bible... It's there in red, the words of Christ. I did not come to destroy the law of the prophets. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill. Revelation, another New Testament passage. Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. There will be a last group of people living in the end of time that will keep the commandments of God by faith. Here it is. John, first John, chapter two, verse three and four. This could not be more clear. Now, by this, we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him. Now, listen to this part and does not keep his commandments is a what is a liar and the truth is not in him. Four passages that indicate that the law is still binding. Four passages that tell us that the law has been done away with. How do we deal with this contradiction in Scripture? The answer is that in the Bible, there's actually two laws. There's two commandments. There's two mandates from Scripture. And the first one, you can see it there in your study guide, was written by God. The 10 commandments was written by God. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 31 verse 18. You want to see this in your own Bible. The 10 commandments was written by God and it was written in stone. Exodus chapter 31 and verse 18, page 98 in your Pew Bible. Exodus chapter 31 And verse 18, and when he had made an end of speaking with him, Moses, on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Did you know that this is the only part of the Bible that God wrote himself? The other portions of scripture, he inspired holy men and they were inspired by the Holy Ghost and they wrote scripture. But this part, God did not give to Moses to write down. It was so important, so critical, so immutable, so unchangeable that he said, look, Moses, I'm not going to have you write this. I'm going to write this myself and I'm not going to write it on parchment. I'm going to write it in stone. Have you heard that statement before, written in stone? In other words, this was of A paramount, immutable, unchanging nature that God said, look, I'm going to write this myself. The only part of scripture I'm writing myself and I'm going to write it in stone. Another important part for us to recognize that this was deposited by Moses, according to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse five. It was inside of the ark. The Shekinah glory resided in the ark of the covenant. And it was inside of the ark, the throne room of God was there, and it was to be underneath the ark, or inside the ark, underneath the throne of God. Bible also tells us that Christ was to magnify the law and make it honorable. So here you have the Ten Commandments, written by God, written in stone, placed inside of the ark of the covenant. We come now to Moses' law, and you'll notice immediately there was a difference to Moses' law. Turn with me in your Bibles a few passages over to Exodus chapter 24, verse 4 and 7. Exodus chapter 24, verse 4 and 7. God's law written by God, written in stone, deposited by God inside or by Moses inside of the ark. Then we have Moses' law. It was written by Moses, it was written in a book. Exodus chapter 24, verse 4 and 7, Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. Verse 7, he took the, what does it say? He took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of all the people and said, all that the Lord has said we will do or we will be, be obedient. God's law was written by God. Moses' law was written by Moses, and it was not written in stone. It was written in a book. Another contrast go over to Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 26. A few books over Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 26. There's something special about this book, but it was a little bit different than the law of God. Deuteronomy chapter 31. And verse 26, page 239 in your pew Bible. I want you to be able to look at this with your own eyes in your own Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 26. Notice the contrast. Take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant. Moses' law was placed beside or at the side. God's law was placed inside. Take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord that it may be there as a witness, what does your Bible say? Against you. Remember that part. Against you. The reason it was to be against the people is also known as the book of blessings and cursings. If they followed God, they would be blessed. They did not. All these terrible things would happen to them. It was to be a witness against the people. Now, I want you to turn with me to... Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. Remember that phrase, against the people. Colossians 2 and verse 14. How do we know that this applies to Moses' law? Page 1354. 1354. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. 1354. It says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was what does it say there that was against us have you seen that phrase before it was in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 26 Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, having taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. I have it here on the screen. Handwriting requirements that was against us. This is important for us to recognize when we study Colossians chapter 2. Handwriting requirements, and it was to be against the people. When you would look up the word requirements in the Greek... And you don't need to know Greek or Hebrew, by the way. You just need to look at your Strong's Concordance. And it's the number 1378. It's the word dogma. And you look it up there. This is an evangelical document or publication. I don't know if you, even know if it's evangelical. It's used by Protestants and Catholics alike. And here it is. This is the answer. The rules and requirements of the law of whom? Of Moses carrying a suggestion of severity and of threatened judgment. You look up the word requirements and ordinances, Colossians chapter 2, this is specifically referring to Moses' law. What was the purpose of Moses' law? In the Old Testament, if you sinned, you had to take a lamb into the sanctuary and you had to sacrifice it. I'm so glad that we don't have to do that today. Amen? Because Jesus came, is the Lamb of God. And we can go directly to the Father in the name of Jesus and ask for forgiveness. We do not have to go to a sanctuary and offer sacrifices. Jesus fulfilled Moses' law. Amen? And that's why we don't have to keep those feasts. We don't have to keep Passover. We don't have to keep Day of Atonement. We don't have to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. We don't have to go to Jerusalem. Regularly. Praise the Lord. We don't have to take lambs into the sanctuary because Jesus fulfilled Moses' law. Jesus died on Passover. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Jesus fulfilled the wave sheaf offering. He rose on the third day, and we don't have to participate in circumcision for religious reasons. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our circumcision. Moses' law dealt with festivals, feasts, unleavened bread, peace offerings, and ceremonial Sabbaths. Now, what about this Sabbath portion? If you go to Leviticus chapter 23, there's a whole slew of ceremonial Sabbaths that were in addition to the fourth commandment. Here we have an indication of that. It's Leviticus 23:23. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites on the first day of the seventh month, the first day of the seventh month could fall on any day of the week. It could fall on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, any day of the week. The first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of what? Of Sabbath. Rest. A sacred assembly commemorated with trumpets blast, Do no regular work, but present a food offering. There you have the word offering to the Lord. The festival of trumpets was a ceremonial Sabbath. Passover was a ceremonial Sabbath. The Day of Atonement was a ceremonial Sabbath. And we don't have to keep those days anymore because Jesus came and fulfilled the ceremonial Sabbaths. To give us an understanding as to the context of the New Testament, the first converts to Christianity were Jews. The next converts were Gentiles. And what happened was as many of these Gentiles were assimilating and becoming a part of the Christian community, which were predominantly Jews, there came a conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles because the Jewish people wanted to impose all of these Passover, Feast of Tabernacles, all of these things upon these converts. And Paul had to come in and say, look, those were nailed to the cross. Jesus fulfilled those. We don't have to keep them anymore. Amen? Here's a question that was posed opposed to Billy Graham. And I want you to notice the answer. Some religious people I know tell me that the Ten Commandments are part of the law that that do not apply to us today. They say that as Christians, we are free from the law. Is that right? Here is Billy Graham's answer. No, it is not right. And I hope that you will not be misled by these false opinions. It is very important that Christians understand what the Bible means when it says that they are free from the law it certainly does not mean that they are free from the obligations of the moral law of God and are at liberty to sin. You see, the word law is used by the New Testament writers in two senses. Sometimes it refers to the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, which is concerned about ritual matters and regulations regarding food, drink, and things of that kind. This ceremonial law was of a passing character and was done away with when Christ came. From this law, Christians are indeed free. But the New Testament does also speak of a moral law, which is of a, notice the words of Billy Graham, of a permanent, unchanging character. That is summarized in the Ten Commandments. This law sets forth God's demands on human life and man's duties to God and his neighbor. That it definitely applies to Christians is made clear in Romans thirteen eight through 10. Billy Graham. What is the purpose of the Ten Commandments? You can see it there in your study guide. The law of God is like a mirror. According to the book of James, it uses this metaphor of a mirror. Most of us, when we get up in the morning, we look in the mirror. Isn't that right? There have been times when I've gotten up and I've looked in the mirror and then, you know, make the necessary adjustments that are deemed necessary. And then I go through the rest of the day and then I don't look in the mirror for a while. Have you ever had this happen to you? I look at the mirror in the mirror in the late evening after I've gone through my day, engaged with people, And then I look into this mirror and I notice that there's an olive stuck right here in the front of my teeth. And no one had the courage to tell me, David, you got something. So they just let me go through my entire day like that. And I don't get mad at the mirror. I make the necessary adjustments. Isn't that correct? And it's the same way with God's law. God's law doesn't fix us. We're not saved by keeping the law. The law shows us, look, uh, we have a problem here. It shows us that we're sinners. It also points us to Christ. So this is the purpose of the law. I don't want anyone to misunderstand me here today. We are not saved by keeping the law. The law is like a mirror. It indicates that something is wrong, that we're sinners in need of a savior. If you look in your study guide, as we look in the mirror of God's perfect righteousness, his perfect character, we see that we are sinners in need of a savior. So the law points us to Jesus. The law is not like a bar of soap. That is, its purpose is not to clean us up, but to show us our great need. That is the purpose of God's law. Now, let's go very quickly through the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 through 17. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet. Now, which one of these are you going to get rid of? There was a Bible study that was happening one time by my professor. And he was sitting in this Bible study, and the gentleman who loved the Lord told him, look, the law's been done away with. We don't have to keep the law anymore. So my professor stood up and grabbed a very expensive ornament on the table and put it in his pocket and was going to walk out. And he said, hey, hey, what are you doing? That's mine. You're stealing. He said, no, I'm not. Uh, We're not under the law anymore. Well, he said, well, not that one. You know, that one's an exception. It's quite interesting, for lack of a better word, that any time we talk about God's Ten Commandments, it's always in reference when they say the law doesn't have to be kept anymore, it's always in reference to to this one. Isn't that right? In other words, everyone believes you shouldn't kill, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't commit adultery, you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't cheat, all those types of things. But they say, oh, we want to give you a 10% discount on the Ten Commandments. You should keep all of them except, except the fourth. So you're telling me that of all the commandments, the one commandment that begins with the word remember is the one that you're telling me to forget. Does that make any sense? No. So God made a distinction here. All the other ones begin with thou shalt not. But he comes to the fourth one. He says, remember. In other words, this is something that we should not forget. Very important for us to recognize when we talk about God's Ten Commandment law. Here's a question that many people ask. Does God's grace do away with God's law? They say we're not under the law, but under grace. Here is Paul, New Testament Christian. He says, do we make void or do we do away with the law through faith? And notice his response. The translator said this is so emphatic, so important that they put exclamation exclamation mark after it. Certainly not. On the contrary, we what? We establish the law. So we don't do away with the law because we're under grace. I was in Texas, and I do not make a habit of... Being in this type of situation. But I noticed that, oh, I did not notice that the speed limit had dropped because I was in a construction zone and happenstance a policeman was coming the other way and he passed by. And I looked in the rearview mirror and I was like, oh, he's going to pass by. And then he crossed the median and then you know that you're in trouble. And the few times that this has happened, there's always a physical response. I don't know about you, but I always put my hands on the steering wheel and my heart rate starts going really fast. Does that happen to you? It starts racing, and he comes to the side of my car, and he says, "Uh, sir, could you please step out of the vehicle? And I'm like, oh, no, this is getting really bad, right? So he has me step out of the vehicle, come to the back of the vehicle. He says, license and registration, please. I had my license, but my registration was in the glove compartment, so I was so nervous that I ran to the side of the vehicle and he's holding on to as you know, you know, and following me because he's very nervous and I reach into the glove compartment and I pull out my registration and I'm, I am, I, my hands are doing this and I hand it to him and he's thinking this guy has something to hide. So he's like, can you sit with me in my squad car? So I go back with him and I'm sitting with him in the squad car. He's checking out to see if I have a criminal history. It checks out. Okay. And then he turns to me and he says, I'm going to give you a warning. Oh, praise the Lord. In other words, I'm under grace. Now, that does not mean that I get in my car and I peel out and go 90 miles an hour. Quite the contrary. I get back in the car. I look in all three mirrors. Turn on my blinker, right? Go in, ease in, make sure it's all clear. And I'm going like five, ten miles underneath the speed limit. Because grace is not a license to sin. If we use that logic, we go out there and do all types of terrible things, stealing, you can go down through the litany of lists, and... Say that we're under grace. Grace is never a license to sin. Grace is not cheap. It cost Christ everything. Here's the motivation for why we keep God's commandments, not because we're saved by doing them, because we love Jesus. If we love Jesus and we love our neighbor, we will not kill, we will not steal, we will not commit adultery, we'll love the Lord with all our heart and with all our soul, and with all our mind. In your study guide, one of the identifying characteristics of the Antichrist is that he would think to change times and laws. This is found in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. Think of it. The Antichrist is so bold as to think that it can change the very law of God. Can this power actually change the law of God? No. But that he would think to do is amazing enough. This is the real issue. That in the end of time, it's between the commandments of men and the commandments of God. Between Jesus Christ and Antichrist. Between scripture and tradition. It's more than just about a day. It's really whose authority really matters. Is it the authority of God or the authority of man? Worship. Concerning God's law, one camp says, change it, and the other seeks to keep it. The contrast is important and striking. One camp says, change it, and the other seeks to keep it. Moving quickly, the law of God is a solid, unmovable, unchangeable. It's a transcript of God's own character. Abraham kept the law, so did Moses and many of the Old Testament prophets. And Jesus and the disciples, the law of God was written by the finger of God on tablets of stone. Exodus 31, verse 18. This law was placed in the ark. According to our study, I've shown this before and I'll show it again, that every characteristic of God's character is duplicated in the law of God. You can see those references on the screen. God is spiritual. His law is spiritual. God is love. His law is love. God is truth. His law is truth. God is righteous. His law is righteous. God is holy. His law is holy. We could go on and on. God is perfect. His law is perfect. God stands forever. His law stands forever. God is good. His law is good. God is just. His law is just. God is pure. His law. Is pure, God is unchangeable, His law is unchangeable. It's a very transcript of the nature and the character of God because the foundation of God's law is love, and God is love. This is what God wants to do, and this is a beautiful new covenant relationship. Down in Hebrews chapter eight, verse 10, also in the book of Jeremiah, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Did you know that Adam and Eve naturally kept the law? They didn't get up in the morning and say, oh, I need to keep God's law. It was written in their hearts. And this is what God wants to do. He wants to write it in our hearts and minds. There'll be a last day people whose law, whose God's law is written in their hearts and minds. Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. God will have a last generation group of people who will be faithful to Scripture, allowing God to write His law in our hearts. As we close, I want to invite you to turn in your bulletin. There'll be a card there. It says University Seventh-day Adventist Church. If you have a prayer request, feel free to write that down. We have a prayer group Sunday morning that prays over every single prayer request that comes in. It's not an exclusive group. By the way, you can join us. 7 a.m. Sundays. It says prayer requests. Also, I would like Bible studies. If you have more questions, you can check that. I'm interested in becoming a follower of Christ. I'm interested in baptism. If you're interested in being baptized... You can check that. I'm interested in speaking with the pastor. We have a family life pastor, associate pastor, and myself. You can meet with all of us, or Jessica, our Bible worker who did the children's story. I'm new to the Christian faith and interested in learning more about Jesus and Christianity. I'm new to the University Church and interested in learning more. I'm interested in getting involved in one of the ministry groups at the University Church. Feel free to fill this out, leave it in your seat or give it to me or one of the ushers on the way out. It's a commitment between us and the Lord. And is it your desire today to have God write his law in our hearts and minds? Is that your desire? Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we're not saved by our own righteousness. We thank you that we're not saved by keeping the law, but the law points us to Christ. We thank you that we can come to you and that you cover us with this robe of righteousness. And then you promise to write this law in our hearts and in our minds. We pray that you'd bless us and keep us as we endeavor to follow Jesus. Because you said, if we love you, we will keep your commandments.